So often in the feminine, we talk about the toxic masculinity that we're living in. But you can't have toxic masculinity and not have toxic femininity. Because we're connected, when we stand in our true power, it commands the other to meet us there. And so it's a waste of time and energy to be focused on what the balance of masculine is externally. You know, how do we clean up the feminine and the masculine in us? Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, welcome, welcome. This is Lauren here. And I'm Shayna. And you are listening to the Time of the Feminine podcast. And we have a great episode today for you with an epic woman teacher leader, a woman we deeply admire named Juanita Robertson. Juanita's core belief is that we're in a time that is calling us to remember Remember what really matters, remember the truth of who we are, and to remember that we belong to each other. She is a facilitator dedicated to addressing embedded trauma. She's also a spiritual teacher, speaker, author, life coach, and storyteller. Her work over the past 20 years has been focused in the areas of healing, initiation, grief, leadership, diversity, and inclusion. Within her organization, Nazuzu, she holds a leadership rites of passage program called Fire and Water. And to be honest, I've been looking at it myself. It looks incredible. She's also the author of The Inner Ground Railroad, A 40-Day Journey to Remembering Soul and Spirit. This is not yet released, but stay tuned. So in this podcast, we talk about really deep and important issues that are happening on a social layer of society right now. We talk about the importance of initiation so that we can move from an adolescent culture to a mature adult culture where we're not pointing and blaming and shaming, and we can rise into wise leaders for a new time. We speak about the feminine rising and how that's so important, but also to not get caught in rising at, in a masculine way, because when we rise in a masculine way as women, we enhance the belief or we double down on the belief that what is right good and true is white and male, which we know that that is not the case. So I won't say too much more. It's time to listen. Enjoy, enjoy. Quinita, it is such an honor to be with you today. So a little birdie told me that it's your 50th solar laugh around the sun. Happy yes. birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What a wonderful thing to be doing on my birthday. When you extended the invitation, I saw that it landed on today. My yes was because my work isn't just my work, it's who I am. Mm. And so how fitting that we would be having this conversation today of all days. 
you know, not only to remind me of the truth of who I am in my work, but who I am personally. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to be with you. Share a little bit about your work with us, the work that is who you are, that is your purpose here. We'd love to hear more about that. I think the best place to start, people often ask me what I do, and that's a hard question to answer. And so usually I start with saying that I'm the promise of forgiveness and reconciliation in the world. And that shows up in very different ways. It shows up in reconciling the parts that are within ourselves. And that sometimes shows up in coaching one-on-one with people. Shows up in the ethnocentric way of reconciling the differences between us, whether that's in an organization or family or in partnerships. And it shows up in the global kind of layer of reconciling different issues in the world. So I'm currently in the process where we finished writing a book, me and Amy Houghton, called The Interground Railroad, A 40-Day Journey to Remembering Soul and Spirit. And it's designed to heal the ancestor legacy of slavery. Mm. The focus is on slavery here in the U.S., but I believe, you know, bondage is bondage and freedom is freedom no matter where you are. And so my hope is that people will be invited into their own journeys of healing with those. Another way I think that it shows up And maybe it touches all three as everything does, (laughs) but it's Tennyson Wolf and I started, I guess now it's been about two years ago, a thing called Fire and Water. It's a leadership rites of passage program for our journey for adults. The whole idea came from this understanding that we live in such an adolescent culture. And the problem with that is when we have adolescent adults instead of initiated adults, is that you can't have initiated elders. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have initiated elders, you can't initiate the youth. And so it becomes this vicious cycle. And I think part of what's happening around us is really calling all of us to just grow up. And so then the question was, how do you grow up adults? And we decided that it was through initiation. The other thing that we noticed at the same time is that we tend to spend tons of money on leadership development, but very little money on developing wise leaders. You know, leadership just means people are following you. It says nothing about where you're taking them. And so this question about how do you grow wise leaders, we decided came through initiation. And so that's why we're doing a leadership rites of passage program. Wow, that's it's so interesting to hear about leadership in general, right? And it's just these people become leaders and therefore they should be followed. And so I'm curious to hear about initiation and you know, the difference between someone that has gone through an initiation versus someone that hasn't, like what qualities do we see in the people that have been initiated and how does it show up differently in the leadership style? And I'm going to add to that. And what is initiation in this sense? Yeah. 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 Because there's lots of different initiations. There's an initiation that happens when you're two when everybody starts saying me, me, mine, mine, right? (laughs) That's a form of initiation. That's a form of really um, identifying yourself as separate. You know, there's initiation that happens when you're about eight, where you move from kind of childhood to boyhood or girlhood. There's kind of a process there. The initiation that we're talking about is the initiation from adolescent, I think, to adult, you know, initiated adult, I would add. And I think what that asks of us, that particular initiation, is it asks that we move in our decision-making from being earth, spirit, and led to being spirit-led in our decision-making. And so it's the lower chakras versus the upper chakras. And so if you think about the heart chakra as an hourglass shape, I think about the lower part of the heart still being love, but it's still rooted in the earth. 
and all the lower chakras are rooted in the earth. So like the belonging family friend, the root chakra, you know, you move up and then you get the, the chakra, the sacral chakra that's about connection and relationships and money and sex. And we go up into the solar plexus and that gives us our self-esteem, you know, and then the bottom part of the heart chakra, I think is we find a lot of the isms there and a lot of in spiral dynamics, it would be like the green level of consciousness. And the issue with all of those is they're still rooted in fear. When we make our decisions from that place, it's not until you move up into the top part of the heart chakra that's rooted in the heavens and you make your decisions from that place that you're moving from a place of love instead of fear. It's not that you ignore the lower chakras. It just doesn't lead in your decision making. And to me, that's what initiation asks of us. And if you think about like vision quests that people go on, that's exactly what's being asked to not make your decisions from being hungry, being cold, your physical, the lower chakras, right? But making your decision from a higher, the upper chakras and how you're going to move through that time. How does this fear-based decision-making, but still heart-centered impact culture around us right now? As adolescents, we want all of the freedom and none of the responsibility. So there's a lot of finger pointing, which doesn't get a whole bunch done, mm-hmm. right? Because each of us carry a piece of the responsibility. I think we get caught often in green around the shame, blame, and guilt. And the problem with shame, blame, and guilt is it doesn't really serve anybody. We think shame, blame, and guilt are emotions, but they're not. They're actually where we go to hide from emotions. And so often when they show up in a room, the first question I ask is, what are you trying not to feel? And I think we've been so desperate just not to feel the grief of it that, you know, and green, it's easy to get stuck, I think, in the grief or in this or demonizing hierarchy. And so we get stuck in the circle. We kind of do go round and round and we're processing the same thing over and over, but not really getting a whole heck of a lot done. And so this piece about how do we each then change the question and step into more of what piece of the responsibility is mine in this? If it's all connected, I don't have any control over you anyway. The only person that I have you know, and sometimes not even that, but control over is myself. Yeah, I feel like that's why it's so important for people to understand what their purpose is. Like when we look at nature, yeah. for example, the purpose of a tree is to mm-hmm. find the most light. And so every mm-hmm. single leaf is not competing with one another. They're spreading out as far and as wide as possible so that they can all have light because it's their purpose, right? And so in that way, you're not comparing or competing. You're just doing your purpose in your lane and how wonderful it would be if we could just all just line up right now and be like, this is what I'm here to do and do the thing, take responsibility for the thing. It's hard to find the thing sometimes. Right. You know, that's the purpose of initiation is to help us connect with our purpose. Right. Um, And I think that we so have confused passion with purpose. Mm. You know, what I'm called to do isn't always what I want to do. Matter of fact, I think oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes, what we're called to do, we're kind of resistant to it. And I think that's by design. I actually think it keeps our ego out of it. There's places where I can go and talk to people and say things, because frankly, I don't want to do it to begin with. So I can really tell the truth and not be attached to what they decide, because most of the time I'm hoping that they'll decide the opposite. And, you know, and that unfolds and plays out in different ways. And so it makes it cleaner. It actually has us show up in our purpose in a cleaner way. 
You know, I think that we each are here to do whatever it is we're here to do, and we get to choose it in whatever way we choose it. That I believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings that sometimes have spiritual ones. And that changes everything because then it makes what happens here, not that it's not important, but it's not the bigger picture, you know? And so this piece that we think we know where people should be or how they should be doing it is us playing their God. And that's just not our job. That's not my job. And so for me, it's it's more of what am I called to do? You know, it's more back to the purpose question. And Fire and Water was created because for a long time, people were asking me in some way, shape or form about apprenticeship or learning from me. And I didn't really know what that meant. I got really clear a long time ago that I can't teach someone to be me. That's not what what this is about. And so that felt that kind of apprenticeship at that time and my understanding of it felt a little bit like that because I didn't know enough to really hold it differently. And then there was a week where two different sets of two people were at my house, younger people, and both of them that week said something during the visit to the effect of it's time to share the medicine. Mm. And so at first I thought fire and water was just for people 40 and under. And I remember calling Tennyson, first of all, texting him because I didn't know where the hell he was. He was someplace. And, and then asking if he would talk for, if he could talk for about 20 minutes. He says, yes. And, and we got on a call and I just said, you know, I think it's time. And I want to do this with you. One of the reasons I wanted to do it with Tennyson. Who's Tennyson? Tennyson Wolf. He is my work partner. We host, co-host Fire and Water along with lots of other work that we're doing together. And so at that point, We weren't doing a whole bunch of work together, but I had a sense that it was the two of us. I said, I think it needs to be held by a man and a woman. I think, you know, initiation typically is done not only culturally specific, but gender specific. And we're taking on something that is men and women together. And so that was a different thing because I think it needs to look different here. You know, our culture is different. So what does it mean to hold a culturally specific initiation here in the U.S.? The other thing that I asked him because First, I think it needed to be held by a man and a woman and because we have a level of trust between us that I think is authentic when we come in front of a room. So it's not just two people with skills that match. It's two people who have deep relationship. We've known each other for over eight years and we have and we were friends for even a year and a half before we stepped in any work together. So I think that that matters. I think the energetic of that changes things. Yes, it's I really am interested actually in the initiation that's co-ed with the masculine and the feminine and how how that impacts because I feel like we're in a phase I mean global sisterhood is an example we do women's circles we focus on women coming together healing connecting reestablishing trust and safety with each other so we can fully embody our femininity and then we bring it to the masculine so that we can have this security when interacting with the masculine because of all the division and confusion and all the things coming together as women so we can move beyond blame and shame really we can approach men in a new way we can come together and work in a new way so i'm curious about how that's shown up for you and for people who have been in fire and water so i used to do feminine wisdom retreats and i did 10 retreats in eight years before i stopped and decided i was done and the reason part of the reason i decided i was done is because there was this huge growth in the feminine on the planet, but it was showing up in such a masculine way. And so most of the things that I saw around how the feminine was um, showing up in lots of places was still validating 
that whole belief system of what's right, real, and true is white and male. And so what I said to Tennyson, we started these retreats, we used to call them the QT retreats, and it was held in our homes. The whole idea was how do we hold space so people get to bear witness to healthy masculine and feminine together? I think it's not only the gender piece, but also, you know, initiation has been culturally specific. And so we had that question too. So how do you do a culturally specific diverse initiation? And part of what we decided was that every person coming into Fire and Water get access to their ancestral DNA. And then they get to choose which lineage they want to dive deeper into while they're with us in the 16 months. And that way, because our journeys, even though we're going it together, we're really actually going along, uh, going on the journey by ourselves side by side. The other thing that I think that's important that we've so forgotten in this culture is spiritual guides mm-hmm. and the importance of it. We can go side by side in a lot of things. I'm part of the art of hosting community, which is we go it together. And that's fine to a certain extent. But what happens because trauma wants to be healed is when we're going it together, we will call up the people who will hook into our own trauma. And so the gift of spiritual guides is that they've walked that road before and they can see it when it's playing out. And if we can trust the guides that we choose and do some surrender to them, then they can really help guide us on the way so we don't have to stay in that loop of rewounding. Mm, the loops of rewounding. I feel like that's happening on this planet a lot right now. Yes, because trauma wants to be healed. So if it shows up and you don't know how to get to it, and you, you know, you go through and then you kind of relax, then it'll come back. It's actually is quite generous in that way. It keeps coming back to give you another chance. And when we don't understand that that's what's happening, when we're asking the question of why is this happening to me instead of for me, we get very different answers. Mm-hmm. And then it keeps happening in your ancestry if it's not healed. <laughs> so it keeps, yes, and it keeps getting, over and over. it keeps getting thicker and thicker, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, how much do you need? It was someone asked me, before this last presidential election, if I thought that Trump was going to be elected again. And I said, well, it depends if that's what we need, because I don't think the universe is emotionally attached in that way. I think the universe is just exact. So what's ever needed in the moment is what it gives us because it's out to gift us. And it's a gifting for our evolution because we don't get to decide whether or not we evolve. We do get to decide how we evolve. So we can do it the easy way or the hard way. But I don't think that the universe is attached to which one we choose. Yeah, the easy way just being coasting down the river, accepting what's here and the hard way being. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know if it's ever really one or the other. I think oftentimes it's kind of the in-between, right? It's like, how do we lean into the more easy, I think? And, And I always say when things come up, one of the things that I'm at least conscious enough now to know when something comes up that it's purposeful. So often my prayer is help me not block this so that I can get it so I don't have to do this shit again, right? Mm, I love that. So not blocking it for you is allowing yourself to just feel it, to have it move through? Yes. Yes. Um, Allowing myself to feel the grief Mm -hmm. because, you know, the anger comes up because the anger is a mask of grief. There's really usually just grief underneath it. You know, say anger is, is unfelt personal grief and rage is unfelt communal grief. And so it's the grief that's trying to come and cleanse and release whatever it is that we're holding on to. 
And so, so often we block the grief because we don't know how to grieve, Mm -hmm. you know? And I've said, what better gift than a pandemic to send a culture that has forgotten how to grieve? Because if you don't, if you don't know how to grieve, you don't know how to live. And we're the walking dead anyway. Mm -hmm. And so it's this piece about learning that grief isn't an event, it's a relationship. So how do I really lean into even asking that question about what my relationship to grief is. You know, I remember telling a friend, Barbara McAfee, she's a singer, a close friend of mine. I was talking with her one day and I was just in grief. I was just just crying. And I said to her, you know, I take people through individual grief rituals. I've done family grief rituals. I do organizational grief. And I said to her, I don't understand why still after all this time, I'm still so afraid to go in. And she said to me, there seems to be some reverence in that. And she says, I'd be afraid if you didn't, if mm-hmm. you weren't. But I learned a long time ago, just because I'm afraid doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. Matter of fact, it probably means the opposite. I love this conversation because I love what you said about rage being unfelt collective grief. And I feel that I've been more connected to my rage than grief until recently. and. I've also noticed through years of self-development work that phenomenon of having my mind understand why things happen. So I'm not blaming, I'm not shaming, and I've forgiven, but my body has not. There's Mm -hmm. so much grief there that my body fully hasn't released that I'm noticing, which is a phenomenon that I, certain things like the grief, there's forgiveness and grief. And I want to just kind of go into this with you since this is, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation is your medicine mm-hmm. yeah. um, for the people who are listening out there that feel either rage or grief about the world about their own personal experience how do we reconcile feeling it and feeling and allowing ourselves to feel it fully while still forgiving so first i would suggest that the knowing in your head and not in your body isn't real forgiveness that Forgiveness isn't an intellectual exercise. And that um, actually, I don't think we know how to forgive. I think forgiveness is a divine something. And often for me, when it shows up, first of all, I have the prayer and the desire to help and help me know what it feels like to have forgiven this person or this thing. And I often will wake up at like three o'clock in the morning sobbing because it has landed in me. It's not like three easy steps to forgiveness. <laughs> You know, it's not I think it's I think it's something beyond us. And I think our job is to be willing and wait to be willing and it'll show up. The other thing I think is that it's easier for us to be in the rage than the anger. It's easier. I think it feels more noble to be in the rage for the larger cause than to be in our personal grief to it. But again, if we go back to spiral dynamics, And that first value meme, the black, if we really get that we're connected and that we come in belonging, if I deal with my own personal anger, I am tending to the collective rage. That's what it means to be connected. Wow, I have chills. I I want every single person in the world who feels very upset and disconnected to be able to hear that in the way we just did, because that really landed in a very powerful way. And it just comes back to the self-responsibility, too like the one thing we can actually work on. (laughs) 
Yes, there's a, a woman that I know. I was sitting in the hot tub with her. I always say I'm brilliant in the hot tub. I'm a water spirit, so the water just works. Next me. interview in the hot tub. <laughs> exactly. I've done coaching sessions in the hot tub before with people. Um, and and um, we're sitting in the hot tub one evening, and she had just finished giving a speech around courage. And she said for the first time, she saw the word courage and saw rage in it. And she said she started wondering if every courageous act has a bit of rage in it. And then what my mind did, because it's what my mind does, I go to Robert Bly's book, Iron John. I'm thinking about the book. And one of the things he writes in the book is that anger is personal, rage is archetypal, it's communal. And so then I start to wonder if courage by definition is communal. And if knowing that, if it would help us to be more courageous more often. And so I'm like talking to people because it's it works me, you know, I'm like, you know, thinking about it. and. And three different people in a row tell me, well, you know, the beginning of the word courage, core, means heart, heart rage. And so then I start looking up. James Hillman writes about the three different philosophies of the heart. He talks about how the physical heart, the blood pumping physical heart, you know, he talks about the heart that pulls us from inside out, what we're passionate about, the passionate heart, the heart of the things, the essence, the truth of uh, the bare essence of what something is, the heart of the matter. So there's three different philosophies of the heart. And so then what came to me is maybe when we choose and act courageous, what we're doing is moving from a place of a personal fear into honoring a collective truth. Mm. And that's what it means to be courageous because we're connected. So when I am choosing to act with courage, then I honor all of us. Mm. And I wonder how often though we think that that courageous act is selfish or just for us instead of no it's how we serve the whole damn Juanita (laughs) 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 so today right in these times yeah how can one help oneself it's so disorienting externally and there's so much that we can see that needs to change. And I'm imagining that a lot of people listening to this podcast are on the path. You know, they're they're doing their work. They're they're somewhere in the process of, you know, seeking. And so how do we help ourselves today? Well, I think one of the questions, and of course I go back to the why, you know, one of the things you said is so much that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I know that? Like Tennyson asked me probably about six or seven years ago, what question, if you knew it, would change your life forever? And at first I was like, I have no clue. And then he says, okay, so what question could you live into for two to three years? And the question I came up with that I've been living into for like six plus years is what if I really, really believe that everything was in divine order? Mm-hmm. How would I move through the world differently? How would I treat people differently? What questions would I ask differently? You know, I think so much of the the things that need to change or the things we think need to change is because we're not looking at the lens of things being in divine order, that they're in service, that they're showing up because the universe isn't emotional, it's exact. It's showing up to help us in our evolution. And so maybe the question's a different question. Maybe the question is, what do I need to open to being more and more the truth of who I am? And the thing that I believe is that the universe wants to prove us right. 
And so whatever we speak or believe, it will send us evidence to reinforce it. You know, Marianne Williamson said, the unconscious mind doesn't have a sense of humor. So anything you tell it, it takes this truth and starts to co-create it with the universe. So this piece around what are we speaking into the universe? Like, I've been so just interested around the COVID about how much negative stuff people have been speaking into the universe. I've told people time and time again, I'm more concerned about how I'm living than when I'll die. And so like my survival is none of my business. You know, the trauma makes us believe that the divine left us and that we're responsible for our own survival, but it's just not true, you know? And so how do I then open to what does it mean to live well, to learn what it means to be alive? So many people who have been afraid and locked up and everything in their homes and not wanting to be near anybody during this COVID time, were the walking dead to begin with. And they just kept going faster and faster just in their house. <laughs> so they still hadn't slowed down enough to grieve so that we can open to something different and something new. Mm. Just to clarify for our listeners, what do you mean by walking dead? So the water that we're all swimming in of what's right, real, and true is white and male often mm. takes nature and God or our spirit out of the equation. So it tells us we're responsible solely for our own success and failures. It tells us that that we can be alone in this world. It tells us that there is a such thing as independence. I don't believe there is. I think independence is a trauma response. I think that we're always all dependent on each other. We breathe the same air, we walk on the same earth. <laughs> that again, that's the nature piece. We only believe in independence if nature isn't a part of the equation or spirit isn't a part of the equation. Mm. I think that we're all dependent. If we're standing in scarcity and lack, it's codependence. If we're standing in love and abundance, it's interdependence. And that that's the piece that we get to choose, mm -hmm. not whether we're dependent or not. And so some of it is, is constantly being curious about our own self, being curious for me about what stories am I telling myself and are they really serving me? Being curious about um, what upsets me and what doesn't. Being curious about are there, who are the elders in my life? Can I and do I trust them? Yeah, I think it's that curiosity mm -hmm. that I want us to lean into. I often will say, know what you know, question what you know, but trust what you feel. I have to say that I'm having a, a humbling experience listening to you right now about going back a little bit about the desire I have to change things how I want to see the world different. I want to see people like this. I have this desire for things around me to be different and that resistance that I feel inside when it's not. And I'm just so profoundly in awe about the reframe of how do I be the best person I can be? Or you said something else and I kind of want to go back there because yeah. it is it is that recognition of the world isn't happening to me, it's happening for me, so how do I interact with the world? And why I'm saying this after the, the walking dead is because I can, when you say walking dead, I imagine myself in a cage of my own making, right? Like I'm just in a cage of my own making, which is an experience that I experience. I've spoken to Shayna about this. And so I just wanna pass that on to you because I feel like maybe my experience can be related to yeah, I think that 
we don't get that the outer reflects the inner. So that there's nothing that can show up in my presence that's not reflecting a belief system or something about me. And so if I'm the only one that I really have control over, whatever shows up externally is trying to give me clues on the truth of who I am. And, if, and then I get to decide whether that story works for me or not and whether that's what I want to keep. It's not easy to constantly come back to that. We get upset with the people in our lives and then have to look and say, oh, I'm doing what I say I want from them, right? That's me too. <laughs> and have to keep coming back to that. As long as we're focusing our attention on the external, in the long run, the picture won't change. Now, I need to add a, a second piece to that because I think we have to understand in activism. I'll, I'll move to that place because I know a lot of activist communities that I work with and I often say there's two different ways to be an activist. There's the sprinter and the marathoner. And the sprinter are the people who are on the ground, knocking door to door, trying to change behavior. And the sprinters can change behavior for a short period of time, but it's not lasting. The marathoners are the ones who are doing the healing work, the underlying healing work of the wound. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that can change it for a long period of time because they're changing the essence, they're changing the root of it. But what we've done so often, if we've had the sprinters change behavior or change policy or change the way we're doing something, but we haven't done the underground healing. And because trauma wants to be healed, what'll happen is it'll always float back up to the surface. And those policies that we change will flip right back. Right. Now, both are important. Like in Cincinnati, where we had uh, the collaborative agreement the federal government came in and sued our city because the police had killed eight people of color in three years. And there was the largest scale community engagement, community agreement document created. It matters that for 10 years, we didn't have a cop kill anyone <laughs> in our city. But again, because trauma wants to be healed, of course it's gonna come back because we never did the underlying healing work of it. We just changed the behavior on the surface. It's a really beautiful thing you're speaking because it's it's yes and it's the yeah. inner and the outer. It's not just the inner, which people can say is bypassing the action. And it's not just yeah. the action, which could be bypassing the inner responsibility that we're all connected to it. Beautiful. Yes. And so often, you know, one of the things that I I work with a lot with activists on the outer and on the changing policy and, and trying to move things forward is where the movement comes from. You know, again, if it's coming from scarcity and fear, then it's not rooted as deep, right? We're so much stronger when we stand in love and abundance and stand in what we care for than fight against what we don't want. Is there a practice that you do? to switch from that like fear scarcity into love and abundance i know for me it's like been thoughts that i've been watching and i'm like where's that coming from it's definitely yeah. coming from scarcity <laughs> you know because it's so programmed yeah. into our nervous systems too to to feel that way it is so programmed and i think it's the curiosity mm -hmm. when we get curious about everything even things that are like you know that i'm really excited about why why is this making me happy what is this about right when we become really curious about how we're moving through the world and what that is for us. You know, when we really get as well that the divine lives in the yes and, that that paradox is often those places. Like how do we hold more and more of the truths 
of the equation. How do we be in a place where we're open to looking for the question underneath the question or looking for what is being called in the moment? I would say that each moment has a life of its own. Can we lean into what that is trying to be? And so tying this all back to what we spoke about in the beginning, the chakras, the lower heart and the upper heart and forgiveness, reconciliation, self-accountability, all of this, taking all of this into account, what does the time of the feminine mean to you? I think it's that, you know, so often in the feminine, we talk about the toxic masculinity that we're living in, but you can't have toxic masculinity and not have toxic femininity because we're connected. When we stand in our true power, it commands the other to meet us there. And so it's a waste of time and energy to be focused on what the balance of masculine is externally. You know, how do we clean up the feminine and the masculine in us? And I think the feminine knows how to do that, or if we can remember how to do that in a different way. Because, you know, Sabang Fusome, West Africa, one of the things she says is that all over the world, people talk about how emotional women are. And she says, emotions are the gateway to the soul. And so that we can use what's in us to remember that we have a different yardstick than what's right, real, and true. I want you to speak a little bit about the yardstick. I've heard you, I've heard you use this metaphor before, and it's so good. And I've, I've definitely heard you use it in racial justice issues. And so maybe you could explain that as well. Yes. You know, we talk about the patriarchy. One of the things I don't think we acknowledge often is that the patriarchy actually hurts white men the most. And the reason we don't notice that or we don't speak about it is because we're using their yardstick to determine who's hurt and who's not, who's healthy and who's not, who's privileged and who's not. I often will say it's not privileged to be disconnected from your heart. And so let's stop using that freaking word to describe white men. You know, change the yardstick. And even the, the programs that we're creating are still rooted in that same yardstick because we're not doing the healing. So all these organizations that are popping up right now claiming to be anti-racist organizations, I would say a healed person would never claim anti-anything. So you know by that that it's rooted in the wound, which means you're just going to create more of what you say you're trying to work against. It doesn't work. It's the same old yardstick. We need to change the yardstick. Wow. I'm very deeply moved by that. And I just, I just want to put this for food for thought, you know, because I don't think a whole bunch of people are talking about it. And I don't even know all the questions to ask. But I think this piece around gender that we're sitting with and gender identity, I think so much of the conversation is so off track. And part of it is because we have such an adolescent culture that wants all of the freedoms and none of the responsibility. This piece around Language is always negotiated. It can't be dictated. It's only the adolescents that think it can be dictated. Negotiation requires relationships. And so we're trying to skip relationship and just force people into doing and saying what we think they should be doing. And that doesn't work. It never has and it won't. And so what's the deeper questions then? And instead of like even in identity, what we've done is we've actually othered more people instead of come more together. Because I think we're asking the wrong freaking questions. I think the, I think the movement, and I've talked to a couple of people who have lost so many elders 
to, you know, AIDS is one. I used to be an HIV and AIDS instructor trainer, and I worked with a lot of people who have died from complications of AIDS. And I think that, that we've lost so many of the elders that had an understanding of gender and gender identity in a way that we don't. And so I don't even, like I said, I don't even know all the questions that we should be asking. You know, I think that we've lost our way a bit. Yeah, it's more about the honoring of the being, the healing the wound of the dishonoring that we have of people who are different than us. That's the core versus like changing language is, is what you're saying. Or, mm -hmm. Yes, or even like for me, I'm more interested in like, why isn't it that we've even expanded what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man as opposed to chopping it up? For me, in some ways, we've gone the opposite yeah, instead wow. of coming more together. That's such an interesting question. Like, what would it even be if it were expanded? Yes, because I think the universe is constantly trying to create balance between heaven and earth and masculine and the feminine. You know, in Bill Plotkin's book about called Soulcraft, he talks about how the ascending journey to spirit is where the collective we is, where compassion is found, is a masculine journey. It's why we have more ministers and priests that are men than women. The descending journey to soul is a feminine journey. It's why we have more witches than warlocks. And, and what I woke up one morning and realized is, okay, so the collective we, the spirit, and the spiritual walk is the ascending we is, a, is held by the masculine, and the individual I is held by the feminine. But in the earthly walk, it's just the opposite. The collective we is held by the feminine and the individual I is held by the masculine. And I think it's why in each of us, how spirit is trying to create balance between heaven and earth and the masculine and the feminine. I'm going to have to listen to this podcast like seven times. <laughs> there's so many, there's so many good nuggets in this. I was just like, damn, Quinita, quote you on that. I'm going to quote you on that one too. Oh, there's another one. How do you do this? Well, there's such a beauty in it. It's like, it's so clear that you've just really cultivated this garden within yourself of courage. You know, you've been courageous enough to keep going and to grieve and to really process and understand and to be accepting of what's here. And it's just so honorable. Well, I think part of it is at 19, I decided either I was going to die, it didn't matter if it was slow or fast, or I was really going to learn how to live and not half-ass it. And so... I decided that day that I was going to live. And so every decision almost from there comes from that. Mm. It's inspiring. It activates my desire to really live and not half-ass it, not be the walking dead, you know? If you were to speak as the divine mother to our audience, what would she want you to say? That it's all in divine order and that you can't screw it up. That you are not only loved and lovable, but you are love itself. Remember who you are. You're never alone. We're always with you. It's just that the spirit world has to become more real to you than this one. And so it is. And so it is. So it is. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you so much for being here on your birthday and, and sharing of yourself so authentically with us and the courage that you bring forth to speak what is true to you and what feels so deeply earned this truth to speak. So thank you so much for sharing that with us and for everyone listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. We hope today's conversation was meaningful for you. If so, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to leave us a review. 
To find Juanita, you can find her at nzuzu.com, N-Z-U-Z-U. Or you can find her on Instagram at Nazuzu Circle. And as for us, Shayna and I run a women's movement called Global Sisterhood. We believe that the times we are living in calls for the rise of the feminine. And we do this through teaching the modality of women's circles. So far, we've helped over 15,000 women's circles get started in over 106 countries. And we offer a facilitator training and resources and rituals for women to lead their very own circle. We do hope that you'll learn more about us, check us out, and also potentially become a facilitator of your very own circle. To follow us, go to globalsisterhood.org or check us out on Instagram at The Global Sisterhood. Until next time, much love.